Welcome to Can, Can We, we talk, talk About This? I'm your host, Amberlee from The Power of Birth. And I'm your producer, Rajelle from Be Designs. And together we created this podcast to talk about women's health and the things that really matter. We have a real passion and focus on women's health and wellness and overall emphasize the importance of talking about maternal health. We chat to experts and continue sharing your stories. We're here to start the conversation, raise awareness, spread the word, call out gaps in the system and implicit biases. And we hope you learn something or even if you're just screaming yes the entire podcast. This is not a place for small talk, we're about real talk. And when we know better, we do better. And we challenge you to start this conversation elsewhere. This episode is general information about pelvic floor and should not be taken as personal advice about your body. We highly recommend seeking personal advice from a women's health physiotherapist near you. Did you know that one in four adults live with incontinence and up to 38% of Australian women have incontinence and over half of these women are aged under 50? 70% of people living with incontinence or leakage do not seek advice for treatment of their problem. Up to 10% of Australian women experience fecal incontinence, meaning leaking from your back passage, and 44% of those women are aged under 50. 30% of women are enduring painful sex. And over half of those women who have had a baby have some level of prolapse, which impacts a person's quality of life and mental well-being. The narrative around pelvic floor is generally, I wish someone told me. And I said this myself after my first birth. And then in comparing my birthing experiences with a friend who had beautiful births, I fortunately received appropriate education, rehabilitation and care for my birth injuries and pelvic floor. And my friend didn't because she had minimal birth injuries. Even though I had two 3B tears, much to my dislike, I had this basic knowledge and understanding of my body and pelvic floor and was once again put into this amazing pelvic health program and rehabilitated well after my second birth. Whereas my friend, after her second birth, with minimal injuries, had minimal information about her pelvic floor and pelvic health and ended up with a pelvic organ prolapse. Throughout our conversations, we often compared what the differences were in our aftercare in regards to our pelvic floor seeing as I was high risk for a prolapse, and my friend, according to her births, was not. Why did she not receive any information or education about her pelvic floor until one day she felt this heaviness and dragging sensation in her vagina, knowing deep down that something was deeply wrong? This should not have happened to her, and I quickly realized how much further we have to go in educating women about pelvic floor and the effects pregnancy and birth can have. While I think it's important and really fantastic that we have these programs for women who have birth injuries, this information needs to be given way before you have a chance to have a birth injury. The narrative should not be, I wish someone told me. So today we're chatting to Claire Ryan, an Australian trained physiotherapist who specializes in women's health and who has a giant passion for pelvic health and has worked in various areas in pelvic health. Her resume is quite impressive and she has a phenomenal amount of extra hours and further training in evidence-based practice and strives to empower women in their knowledge of their body and pelvic floor. So Claire, tell us what a women's health physio is and what they can actually do. Yeah. So um, yeah, many people are still in the dark about the area of women's health physio. When I'm like explaining it to people, I like to say we kind of assess and treat things from like the boobs down to your thighs because <laughs> there's such a big list of things that we treat and I'm sure we'll talk about this through the episode but often it is to do with the pelvic floor muscles um, and the pelvic organs but it encompasses so many um, 
other things within this. So it's like pain issues, men's health, bladder issues, bowel issues, antenatal things, postnatal things, and then even like mastitis. Like it's just so mm. varied. So that's why we kind of term it pelvic health physiotherapy. And then as for what we do for people going through like those childbearing years, it's really just to try to educate and do what we can to make it like a positive journey and aim to reduce like people's risks for their future. So I always tend to say like your future self will love you for what you're doing now. I find a lot of, I guess, the pelvic floor dysfunctions that we know of today, for example, incontinence is quite normalized. I mean, just yesterday, I was watching a reel by some influencer who has hundreds and thousands of followers about how, you know, she she was kind of like jogging through a house and sneezed, but had to like, was like, oh, I have to stop and concentrate because I wee myself like, oh, motherhood and like palmed it off like this. And I was just like, <gasps> like, what? No, what are you doing? Like, this is not how we should be talking about these kinds of things. Yeah. And it's a massive frustration of mine just knowing my basic knowledge that I have. So because it's been somewhat normalized, which just seems completely insane, are women's health physios only in recent terms of rehabilitation and management and treatment and education of pelvic floor new? Yeah, so I think we've been around for quite a, a while. Like I don't have years or anything, but I think it is relatively new in physio world compared to like your sports physio or mm-hmm. your rehab after, you know, having a stroke or something like that. I think it's still definitely developing because there's like more and more research being done as well. So as there's more research done and more, you know, evidence for this stuff, we'll get more funding for more physios and things like that. But there's definitely more interest, I find, in physios becoming yet interested in women's health. And there's more like training opportunities and courses available now, which I think has been a barrier in the past as well. Like there just wasn't that much access to upskill in mm-hmm. women's health. Yeah, so I think it. I think it's been a few things like that. I mean, it was only, I think it was two months ago, I said to my grandmother who's in her 70s, do you know what a pelvic floor is? Because in my head I was like, I just bet you don't know. And she was like, a what? Mm. I said a pelvic floor and she was like, what's that? And I was like, you know, when you squeeze your vagina, you can feel a lift, right, or you can feel the squeeze. And she was like, oh, is that what that is? Yeah, yeah. But even Joking. like nurses and things that I see, like even my mum, she's a nurse and she's had three kids and doesn't, yeah, like has issues because she hasn't worked a, just didn't know to do pelvic floor work. It's crazy because we've been birthing for centuries. Yeah. <laughs> How is this not picked up earlier? I Why know. has it taken until now? So tell us then. What is a pelvic floor and why should a woman care? Yes, great question. So the pelvic floor, um, it's like a group of complex muscles that literally forms the base of our pelvis, so the bony structure of our pelvis. Um, So it goes from our pubic bone at the front to our tailbone at the back and then it goes from both our bottom, like, sitting bones. So it literally, um, yeah, forms 
the base of our pelvis and if it didn't exist like everything in our pelvic cavity and like abdominal area would kind of fall out of our body so it's pretty important when I like explain it to people I like to break it down into two different layers so it has an outer layer um, which does a closing function so that's the layer that like tightens around our urethra where we we from vagina opening and then our back passage so how I teach that is you know the feeling of stopping a wee halfway through not actually doing that but just visualizing that if you think vaginally it's like you know closing around a tampon um, at the back passage it's like holding wind in but not using your bottom cheek so just like your back passage and then we've got the deeper layer of it which does a lifting function so when I'm mm. teaching yeah teaching it you need to feel a tightening and then the pulling up sensation mm. yeah. and that's an important factor absolutely because you can have issues with either of those layers and it kind of changes how we then treat it. Like if someone's got an issue with the lift, we don't really need to focus on the outer squeezing so much and vice versa. Yeah, it gets very complex, doesn't it's, it? It's very complex, yes. yes. <laughs> okay, so then in terms of pelvic floor strength, how would we, without seeing a physio, know kind of, if we have issues or if it's strong enough? Yeah, so... Is there no way we should be seeing a women's health physio? <laughs> yeah, so like as a test, like so say you want to know if you're doing it right, you mm. could, when you've got wind, like just try and hold wind in and feel your, your sphincter, your back passage, like tightening in. Or you can have a look if you want, like get a little hand mirror, put it... Mm. I recommend looking at your vagina. I think we need to be looking at this part of our body. (laughs) Yeah, because like even by us looking, like that's what I always do before I do an internal assessment. You look at the area and you can see the vagina opening tighten, the vagina opening tighten, and then you see like the perineum like lift up. And so that's, yeah, like people can do that at home. It's like a good visual. A good visual, yeah. Yeah, love a good visual. So I guess when we're talking about women and maybe birthing, pregnant, birthing, postpartum women, what are the range of pelvic issues you would see or treat? Yeah. So it's such a wide array of issues um, because it is so complex. But if I think like just in my normal day, so say I'd see, you know, 10 people, um, you know, I might see two that have symptoms of prolapse and one of them I might be fitting a pessary. So there's those. I might see someone that's maybe returned to running after they've had their baby and now they're leaking. So they want help on that. Maybe one has constipation and that's from their like pelvic floor. It's not relaxing when it should, i.e. when they're trying to get their bowel movement out. Um, maybe one's had a third degree tear so I'm helping her rehab from that maybe one has pain with sex after trying to return to that after she's had her baby one might still have some like just general pelvic pain going on 
and maybe one just wants to come and do some Pilates after they've had their baby just to get their body nice and strong again. And then like my um, work at John Flynn as well, like that's all kind of the bowel-related stuff. So it's things like fecal incontinence and bowel urgency and constipation and prolapse. Yeah, so many things. And the list, uh, there's actually a really great list of all the different things that you can treat on your website, which I'll link up to this episode as well if people want to go and have a read and have a look. So now I want to debunk some myths about pelvic floor. So one of the things I thought of was how people are, like I mentioned before, normalizing weighing yourself at any point, run, jump, lift, sneeze, cough. This is never normal, correct? Yes, correct. Mm -hmm. And the other thing was that you just need to do pelvic floor exercises slash Kegels. Yes. So what are pelvic floor exercises? And I know that there's so much more than just doing Kegels. So what is the differentiation here and why do we need to be doing them? Yeah. So it totally depends like if you've got an issue or not and that's why like it is really important to like have a consult with a women's health physio before you kind of just go willy-nilly doing your kegels or you know working you know strength pelvic floor exercises every day because it might not be what your pelvic floor needs um so basically the pelvic floor has a role to both contract so tighten and relax at different times throughout through our day um, and it also just has like a normal resting tension in that we don't need to just walk around squeezing our pelvic floor all day and you don't need to be able to like run and hold your pelvic floor the entire time like that's not what it's designed for um, so basically like examples of of t- when it tightens just in our normal day is say we um, have to go to the toilet and we don't have access to a bathroom. Our pelvic floor might squeeze to hold until we can get to the toilet. Um, if we've got wind and we're like in a public space, we might squeeze our pelvic floor. We might want to tighten our pelvic floor before we like lift something or cough so we don't leak. So that's like tightening. And then when we release our pelvic floor in our normal life, it's when we're on the toilet and we want to let all our wee out, it's um, letting your bowel movement out. So our pelvic floor has to like release to empty that. Um, If we think about labor, it's trying to relax your pelvic floor to let the baby come out, which is very important. Um, and like relaxing so that we can have like intercourse or put a tampon in without getting pain just or like having you know when we have a um, speculum um, like a pap smear like just trying to relax your pelvic floor so it doesn't hurt things like that Mm -hmm. Um, so contracting and relaxing are both of equal importance absolutely yeah and that's why like the one fit rule of everyone do your kegels or everyone work your strength is like not not correct yeah because like what your pelvic floor needs is going to be different to what my pelvic floor needs yeah Mm -hmm. so could you go along the lines and of say if you have a weaker pelvic floor pelvic floor exercises are good for you and we should be doing them and then on the other hand if you're having pain or other signs and symptoms um, or you can't feel your pelvic floor relax, 
you may have an overactive pelvic floor and therefore pelvic floor exercises aren't necessarily your go-to. It's more the relaxation of your pelvic floor is your go-to. Yeah. Correct? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So before, before we go into signs and symptoms, you've just kind of tweaked something in my brain. So I always tell any woman, even if they don't tell me that they have issues, I'm always like, you need to just go and see a public health physio so that you can just get an assessment and see where you're at. Is this something that's that you would say is a good thing and good to say? Or are you kind of like, oh, no, not everybody needs this? Because in my mind, everybody needs an assessment. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody at some point in their life should have an assessment by a women's health physio. And whether that's yeah. just like prevention in that you want to see where you're at to make sure there's nothing kind of coming up um, or it's you've got an issue um, or yeah yeah I think it's very beneficial for people to know and become familiar with their pelvic floor um, yeah and if it needs work Mm -hmm. yeah so what are some signs and symptoms that something's not right then yeah Um, yeah so it can be if I break it down into like things that your bladder might um, be experiencing that aren't quite normal. So maybe you've um, start leaking. So that's um, a pretty out there one that people know about. Like if you're leaking, I don't care if you're pregnant or just had a baby, it's not normal. It's never um, normal. It's never mm. normal, yep. Um, you might um, suddenly have to start going to the toilet more or like have to rush and it's like your bladder's not giving you those warning signs that you need to go. That's another huge one. So that's called bladder urgency. Um, even things like you're not feeling like you're emptying your bladder well. So you feel like there's a little bit more there and you might have to go back like five minutes later. Um, having to strain to get your wee out. Um, mm. ha- even having to sit and wait for your wee to come out. Um, or it's like a little slow dribble. And then pain, any pain with your bladder, like weeing, that's not normal. And then if we move to bowel, it's things like losing your bowel control. So that can be like the formed like stool or loose stool, but even wind, um, that's not normal. Like you should be able to control your wind. Um, Having to rush for your bowel movement, like we should be able to get there in time. Um, having to strain to get your bowel movement out, so that's not normal. Um, not emptying at all, so yeah. I, and I feel like a lot of these you you don't know until you feel it. Like I'll say, yeah, not completely emptying your bowel, and that might sound odd to you, but there'll be someone listening that that will be like, yeah, I know that feeling. And then any pain when you're going for your bowel movement, that's not normal. And then vaginally, it's things like having a lump or bulge or a heaviness sensation in the vagina area. You shouldn't be getting pain with, um, you know, sex or anything like that. Um, And you should be able to, you know, put a tampon in and feel comfortable. You should be able to get a pap smear and feel okay. Um, Yeah, I think that's a summary of, yeah, things that aren't quite right. And I think it's important probably to note here that you don't have to have had a baby or be pregnant to have any of these types of dysfunction. This can 
this has happened to women um, pre-babies. So what are some risk factors for pelvic floor dysfunction? Depends what pelvic floor dysfunction, but if I yeah, just try and group it, having an instrumental delivery and especially a forceps delivery has a higher risk. And we know that having a vaginal delivery actually like changes the structure of our vagina. So it actually like makes it wider, um, which then can, you know, if you have multiple, um, can then leave less support for our organs just because there's not such a tight um, canal anymore, Mm. if that makes sense. We know that having large babies um, is a risk factor. So um, the study's even shown like that, Um, if we're thinking like risk for prolapse, like it increases 3% for every 100 grams over three kilos. And three kilos is a pretty like normal birth weight. Yeah. Yeah. So then if you think you have like a four kilo baby, it's going to increase your risk quite a lot. Yeah. Um, And then it's other risk factors would be like getting um, a third or fourth degree tear. And then um, there's, injuries to actually like the the pelvic floor muscles that can happen in a delivery and I don't know would you have ever heard of a levator um avulsion have you read uh, that? yes yeah. yeah that's like is that your internal layer it's yeah, yeah. It's a deep layer of pelvic floor muscles um mm-hmm. and in a delivery what can happen is the levator muscle can kind of come away from your pubic bone so then you actually mm-hmm. don't have like the muscle can't turn on. Um, Mm. So then you've got like only one side of your pelvic floor working. So that's a really big risk factor um, Mm. for getting pelvic floor issues. And then things like just as we age, our muscles get weaker. As we go through menopause, um, you get all those hormonal changes, um, which increase your risk as well. But then other things like just if you're if you go through life and you're constipated and you're straining on the toilet every day or every second day, like that's enough to weaken your pelvic floor. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, having a high BMI and just having that extra weight on your pelvic floor is a huge one as well. Um, even things like if you've got like a chronic cough and you're constantly coughing, that can weaken your pelvic floor. Um, mm. And then there's genetic genetic factors as well. So we know like if your mom or sister had, you know, a prolapse, you're more likely and we think that's because of just like the connective tissue. I think it's important to talk about risk factors because they do obviously play a big role and there are things that you can do to reduce your risk. I knew nothing about, I, I knew what my pelvic floor was and I knew that I could squeeze it and that was about how much knowledge I had about my pelvic floor before I had a baby. Nobody tells you these things. We don't learn about it in school. Female anatomy is kind of right down the end of the <laughs> end of the line. So, you know, I had a baby, had a had a, an instrumental birth with forceps, and ended up with a three B tear. And this is where I started to learn the importance of your pelvic floor and then risk factors. So I actually saw a gynecologist in the program I was put through through the hospital because women who have third and fourth degrees um, are sent in, into this program, which I think is amazing, but I also think every woman should have access to this. Um, and <laughs> and I, I was chatting to this gynecologist and I said, well, what about a, another pregnancy then? 
and another birth, am I, what's my risk factor in having another third degree tear? And she said, it's 8%, which is actually one in 20 women, which I was like, well, that's pretty high. And she said to me, have a cesarean. But then I've met women that have had instrumental births and no tearing. They had an episiotomy. They had no like other natural kind of tears and then go on to have other babies and have no dramas. Or there's women that have these giant babies and have no dramas. So while I think it's important to talk about the risk factors, that doesn't mean it's going to happen to you. I just think it's good that we be aware of it and that we implement things to reduce our risk. So that doesn't mean have a cesarean or you can't ever have another vaginal birth. I was one of the the one in 20 with the second birth. Um, But, you know, again, going back to genetics and then the history that I had, you know, the pregnancies were close together. Um, You know, there was was so many things. And then, again, you've talked about um, the the size of your perineum as well. That was something that you'd recently talked about. Yeah. Um, So there's been, yeah, some studies um, and it was – like the the length of our um, perineal body, so from the back of our vagina to our back passage. Obviously, if that's a shorter distance, then you you're more likely. Like if you get a a small tear, but you, that length on you is small, then it's going to reach your back passage. Mm. Um, whereas someone that has like a long perineal body, they've got more you know room to tear if I can Mm. say it that way. Um, Yeah, so there's all these other things that kind of do play a role. Yeah, Yeah. and I think that's why, um, yeah, like having an appointment antenatally just to like discuss some of these things um, can just, yeah, make you more informed before you go into the delivery. The more you know, the the better it's going to be as the pregnant person. And then if you're in the birth suite and... Um, you know, things aren't going how you imagined they'd go and maybe your baby's bigger than what they thought, you know, and does have a, a quite a big head circumference and, you know, you've been pushing for two hours and you're exhausted and they're going to have to use the forceps and, yeah, you've just got that and, they, you know, at this point they might offer you, okay, you can keep going or you could have an emergency cesarean. Like you just might be like, okay, what's what's the risk here? Should I opt for the cesarean option or should I risk having a, you know, tear? Yeah. And you can have a perfect birth without tearing or I, I say perfect, I should say a textbook birth. Without the tearing, it was the birth that you wanted or it ended up the way that you wanted and you can still experience symptoms of dysfunction it's it's not just because you had say a tear in birth or an episiotomy or or whatever there are still risk factors involved um and so I guess that brings us to prevention is far better than cure and so uh maybe a lot of the time women's health physios are on the the curing end or the the management and the rehab um but are there I would like to think a woman is informed very early about her pelvic floor and the associated risks, but can you tell us some preventative measures that we can take um, before pregnancy and birth? 
Yeah, that's a really good point. So, um, yeah, prevention is far better than a cure, but I think we really need to start teaching people um, about their pelvic floor from like a school age. Um, It really amazes me that we don't learn any of this stuff until either something happens to you, your friend, your mom, um, you know, it's like close to home. Then you're like, oh, okay. well, yeah. It's kind of like, why wasn't this in my sex education class? Yeah, why? Did you I know, have like, to learn, um, you know, um, like how sex- to put on a condom that I refused to touch because I was like, no, thank you. I won't yeah. be doing that. Or well, they're learning like algebra. <laughs> like, when am I going to use that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, let's um, not talk about our bodies. It's very strange. Yeah, and just like the varying degree of normal is crazy like day in day out um you know people say like wait I'm not supposed to strain on the toilet like that's just how I do it that's how I've done it forever um or even like people like that have pain with intercourse they're like oh I just always thought that was normal and you just push through it it's not until like Mm. someone says you know that's not normal or they're they'll mention it to their GP and their GP's like hang on, that's not normal. Um, So they've just been dealing with it for years. Um, Yeah, I read a study. There was something like up to 30% of women are enduring painful sex. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like a really big one. Um, I treat it a lot. Um, Yeah, we just need to get more awareness out about it, that it isn't normal and that there is treatment. Um, but even like young children can get pelvic floor issues and this is like Mm -hmm. a whole area in itself. So there's like pediatric continence physios. Um, so it can, yeah, like this stuff can start from like, you know, primary school age. Um, well, I'm going to tell you a story now (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) because (laughs) so my son, who's nearly two and a half, he had gastro a couple of months ago. And after he had gastro, I noticed he was pretty terrified to pass his bowels. And I just Mm. thought, oh, this isn't good. So, you know, I did some Googling as you shouldn't. And I came across that sometimes it can be psychological, um, psychological issues from gastro because of, I guess, the pain that they experience. So then they're too scared to go because of the pain. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to keep an eye on this. Anyway, it lasted about a week-ish and I was I was almost about to take him to the GP and he just kind of stopped being scared and he started going again. And I was like, oh, okay, everything's fine. And a couple of weeks later it flared back up, but it was super intense. He would scream and cry and carry on and not go, but I could tell he needed to go and it was this whole thing. Anyway, my husband ended up taking him to a really good GP that my husband knows and he put his finger up his bum and said it spasmed immediately and that said he's been doing this for a long time and my husband was like well yeah like I mean he had gastro so many weeks ago blah 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 and he was like yeah his pelvic floor is now overactive and it's very painful for him to pass his bowels even though he doesn't have gastro anymore my husband comes home and I'm like you are kidding me this is like now turned into a pelvic floor issue with my two-year-old yeah and it's insane. And then trying Thank to get goodness, a we have a good GP. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah. yeah, we have all these different things we're, we're doing with him. But yeah, yeah two years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The same sort of things happen for adults. Like if we get like 
uh, hemorrhoids or fissures or something and it's sore to go, you're not going to want to go. So everything tightens. Yeah, and then you dread going and, yep, it's like this vicious cycle. Mm. Yeah, poor little son. Yeah, I know. It's been Mm. um, interesting Mm. to say the least. Um, So one other thing that I really did want to talk to you about and I've done a podcast with the mummy trainer who works with women's health physios in regards to this. Um, but talking about the kind of exercise that's okay in pregnancy and postpartum in terms of pelvic floor and why does this matter? Because you see a lot of heavily pregnant or fresh new mums Um, particularly I'm just going to go back to social media, posting on social media, them lifting these heavy-ass weights or they're going for a walk with the pram at four weeks or something and I have like these mini heart attacks like what are you doing and I'm not going to be that person to message them and all that (laughs) but I just sit there and I think, no, what are you doing? Um, So, yeah, tell us then um, what kind of exercise is okay so it absolutely depends on the person, um, their pregnancy, their delivery, what exercise they're doing, how postnatal it is, so many factors. Um, yeah, so we we definitely know exercise does have an impact, but there's no absolute rules or guidelines about returning to exercise postnatally, um, which is why it makes it so frustrating for people. Um I get so many people just asking that simple thing of when can I run postnatally? Like literally once a week, <laughs> twice a week, just that yep. when can I run um, or when can I go to that, you know, pump class at gym. Um, and so the factors that influence it are those factors that we spoke about earlier in terms of risk factors for, you know, both prolapse and pelvic floor issues. So it's things like delivery type. Did you have a tear? How big was that tear? Um, what was the weight of the baby that you delivered? Um, how long did you push for? How many children have you had? Like, do you have any pelvic floor issues going on at the moment um, or even in your pregnancy? Um, do you have any gene- genetic factors that might increase your risk? So those things are always at the back of my mind when someone's coming for a postnatal assessment. And so by the end of that session, I have just a clearer idea of someone's like relative risk of returning to particular exercises. Um, And then I always have like a discussion about this. So literally I, I don't give people a time frame anymore until I've like assessed them and know about them because I'd just be like making it up to be honest. Yep, great answer. I, I think out of this, it should be you need to go get an assessment from a women's health physio before you do anything. <laughs> Even like, and obviously, there's like a financial thing that comes along with that. And obviously, people yeah. don't have that. But I think if you can just, you know, ask for that as a present, be like, I just want one like postnatal assessment so that you can just like go through it with them, you know. Um, and then leave that appointment knowing, okay, I'm doing okay, or no, I need to wait longer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, what a great baby shower present. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Half buying clothes for the little baby, get a women's yeah, I, I have had a few, like 
in this last maybe mm. six months to a year that they've been given vouchers. And I'm like, how oh, good. Because it's like, yeah, yeah, sometimes just, yeah, when you've got a new baby, it is hard to find that extra money yeah. and prioritize yourself as well. That's, uh, yes. yeah. So can you tell us then a fun fact about, it could be about women's health physios or pelvic floor that maybe most women don't know? I guess like just to assure people that we have literally seen and heard it all. Mm. Um, so really nothing surprises us. And so you don't need to be, you know, embarrassed or, um, you know, not want to disclose something to us. Um, we literally have heard it all and nothing surprises us. Um, mm-hmm. And I think just to know that like we as women's health physios can have our own pelvic floor issues as well. Like I've had pelvic floor issues and I haven't had a baby yet. So, mm. um, yeah, like we we get have to treat each other as well. Um, we're normal people as well. Yeah, true. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Good um, point. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe just to finish, um, we don't care if you're groomed or not. The amount of people that are like, oh, sorry, I haven't had a wax or, oh, sorry, I didn't know if we'd be doing this or not. Like it's, we're looking at it at the vagina area, like it's muscles. It just happens to be in like an intimate area of your body. So like yeah. we, we're not, we don't care about what it looks like or anything. And she's going to walk out and another woman's going to walk in and you're going to completely forget about what that person's vagina looks like anyway. You'd see, yeah, like I said, 10 a day. Yeah, all day, every day. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's is so different. So there is no normal. Yeah. Mm. Thanks for listening to part one of why you need to know about your pelvic floor and see a women's health physio. Please join us in part two to continue the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're listening and would like to share your story with us or feel compelled to talk about issues surrounding women's health, please don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. You can find us at The Power of Birth on Instagram and Facebook or on our website, thepowerofbirth.net. If you loved this episode, we would love it if you left us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and share us with your family and friends. The conversation has to start somewhere. Thank you again for listening and we hope you join us in the next episode.